Alrighty, so you know, I know Austin is a big proponent for this, but uh, I think it's time to we need a quick update on the Niels Hoglander situation. Can we have a Hogwatch update there, Austin? I just want for the record that I believed in him when no one else, including this podcast, believed in him. Well, is it more that he is kind of lucked out because Kuzmenko and Tockett aren't really meshing well. So to kind of like, okay, now we've got an opening a top six. Hey, you know, a guy that we can maybe finally throw in is Niels Hoglander, or is he actually playing well? Like it's a little bit of both, right? Obviously luck comes involved, but at the same time, like you, you gotta acknowledge the skill. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I think he's a poor fit on the fourth line right now. Like, when he, well, not now, but, like, when he was playing with, like, guys like Nils Eamon and Sam Lafferty, right? Like, that's not the type of guy we thought Nils Hollander. Like, he was getting, those, like, not really any special teams time. Like, you can't really have skilled players playing on the fourth line. So, I feel like he kind of showed, like, he wasn't. He was better than the fourth line. Like he was putting up points. Like I know, like me, you, Anson, and um, one of our friends, we always love to pick him as a part of our Tim's fix. Who is still not sponsoring us. Um, but you know, like now he's getting a chance on the second line, and you know maybe he's going to put some points, and uh, maybe he is going to finally stay in Vancouver. Maybe we don't need a let the hog free or whatever. Well, I don't know what we our hashtag was for. Uh, was like to get hog out of Vancouver or. I don't hashtag free hog, you mean? Yes, hashtag free hog. Uh, I think uh, we might not need that anymore. Maybe he's found a place in Vancouver playing on that second line with, uh, I think it's JT Miller and Brock Besser. Like, okay, I am also aware that this is not to be expected, and like he's in a hot streak, and he's going to regress to the mean, right? That's going to totally be part of it. It's going to regress to the mean, but. I think at the end of the day, could you expect maybe, what, 35 points from him this season? Is that is that a reasonable assumption for him? I think so. Like, I mean, given if he keeps where he is right now in terms of, you know, getting decent middle six minutes. Like, I don't think he's a top six guy, but, you know, he's four points in four games, like playing on that top, like, like that in the top six he's getting some power play time hasn't had any power play points but you know he's his getting his minutes up like before he was playing like maybe 10 minutes a game now he's up to like 13 14 like i don't think it's unreasonable like for him to you know put up the 30 points maybe maybe 40 so is it sustainable though is it like would you rather have him over kuzmenko though well i think that's the thing right do we think that kuzmenko is going to get a spot back in the top six because like I think if you look at the wingers or like the players that are playing on Vancouver's top six right now how many of them would also be okay playing in the bottom six and I think none of them really are so there's gonna be an odd person out I think there's trade rumors too like you know could Kuzmenko get traded I mean he did I remember we when he signed that extension we we're all kind of like why is he signing an extension with Vancouver? Isn't Vancouver going to be rebuilding? Don't they need money? But they signed him to like a extension. He's got a modified no trade clause. There was talk that some teams might be interested in trading for him. I mean, 
if you're Vancouver, I think you you would look to trade Kuzmenko because that opens cap space to sign Pedersen next year. But um, yeah, like back to the whole thing about sustainability. Like I think as long as Hogg stays on in that middle six, I think he'll be fine. So when you talk about cap space, though, I'm pretty sure you have someone like Niels Hoglander who's, yeah, if he continues next year, he's still only making 1.1. But after that, like, that's going to be a problem. Like, Kuzmenko has a a longer track record, does that count? While Hoglander is having a breakout year. Like, do you want to risk that that quickly, though? But at the same time, like, is one like is one year in the NHL like a track record? I know there's KHL, but it's like he he scored 39 last year, and now he's in the doghouse. I don't know how this how how like you put like potentially 40 goal scorer in the doghouse, but like I don't know the full situation with, with what's going on with the Canucks and Kuzmenko, but at the same time, I think he deserves a fair shot. Well, like my thing about trading Kuzmenko over a Hoglander for cap, like your main thing is that next year, Elias Patterson is an RFA. So you want to clear up as much money as possible so that you can sign Patterson. Um, I think the question is like, are you okay? If it's, if you consider it a downgrade going from Kuzmenko to Hoglander, all that extra cast space, is that worth it so that you can bring in a Pedersen and maybe bring in extra pieces to surround him and Hughes to, you know, compete next year, right? Like, I think I, I think if you're a team right now, like Kuzmenko, yeah, he's good, but, you know, I think you're looking for cheaper players that can provide, you know, similar production, right? So if a team is willing to overpay or, or willing to pay fair value for Kuzmenko, I, th- I think you do it. And if Hawk continues to produce that, what his current rate is, I think you say that's fine for Vancouver. Okay, but at the same time, is this even a question, though? I think at the end of the day, like, in terms of free agents, Patterson's still got Arbrights next year. He's still an RFA. And if you look at it, the other free agents, like, they've got significant money coming off the books in a guy like Tyler Myers, right? So that's frees up $6 million right there. And remember, this is a team that's that thinks they're a Stanley Cup contender, right? If they take out a Kuzmenko, which, yeah, you might say is the obvious choice, if you use that term very lightly, but that's still a player who can produce offensively. Are they going to get anything with that money that would be an upgrade over Kuzmenko? Maybe not, but, like, yes, I agree. Like, they've got a lot of cap coming off the books next season, but also... with the thing of having a lot of cap coming off the books, it's a lot of players that they're going to have to kind of resign or replace, right? So, yeah, I don't know. I think Kuzmenko, I think he's starting to, you know, get back into the good books. I think he's going to need a couple of games. It's going to be sad to see Hog, you know, leave the top six, but maybe he can, maybe Kuzmenko can take Sam Lafferty's spot on the top line with Elias Patterson. Like, don't kick not, uh, don't kick Hog down to the bottom, uh, bottom six again. Keep him up there and then, uh, Maybe Kuzmenko can be, you know, part of that top six again, and uh, maybe you know Vancouver will uh, figure out their issue. I, I don't know. I think with the trade of Beauvillier, it doesn't really help for next season, but I think at least it's 
one guy that you don't have to worry about, you know, maybe resigning or offer like sending a qualifying offer out. But I think, you know, trading Beauvillier, that doesn't zatter off. Like, I think Rutherford is like not afraid to show that he he's willing to make trades whenever. Like, he's not the guy. He's not the type of guy to be like, okay, let's make the trade at the deadline. Maybe he's a fit and he wants it. He's gonna get it. So I think if he's shipping up Kuzmenko, if there's like again, like you guys said, it's like if there's a fair offer out there. Um, I think absolutely Canucks will take it. But right now, I don't think with the production that he's, you know, with how much he's producing on ice, I don't think they're getting a fair enough value or offers that uh, Vancouver is really comfortable with trading. So at the end of the day, it comes back to you. The question comes back right back to you, Jeffrey. Is this a offer that they need to even consider at this point? In the end, I think it just depends on where you know they think that they need to improve on right like if jim rutherford thinks that you know they need to add some more you know guys who can play more situations instead of like if you look at this team right i'd say kuzmenko hog besser those are guys that kind of can really play like they're they need to be kind of sheltered and play offensive situations but they don't really have like enough jt miller types who can play you know who can play power play, who can play penalty kill. So if they can find a fair offer where they can trade Kuzmenko for a you know a middle six guy, more all situations guy, maybe like a third line center, I think they do it. But at the same I agree with you, right? Like they are trying to gun for a playoff spot, like if they're, you know, really in need of, you know, scoring, which is always at a premium, maybe they do keep a guy like Kuzmenko. So it's just a huge question mark, but before we start the show proper, I just want to remind our listeners one last time that I believed in Niels Hoglander before any of my co-hosts, before any of the pundits did, and my belief in Niels Hoglander remains as strong as ever. And with that, let's start the show proper, shall we? You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we are back. Do you remember the beginning of the season when the Oilers were about as much of a joke as the San Jose Sharks were? The same San Jose Sharks where Jeffrey predicted that they may not even reach eight points this season. And we were all like, well, how long is this going to be? How long is this losing streak going to be? And we pointed out, oh, I think there's a chance that they beat the Edmonton Oilers. And they did. And they were... And it's been a rough season, right? They started rough, but after the last couple games, are they back? I think when you look at their record, it makes you feel like they're back. I mean, what, they're 13-12-1. They're, like, they're not far off, technically, from a wild card spot. But, like, at the same time, like, this is the West where they're not really strong. Like, at, at this point, I, I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, let's say they are back, right? Because I'm given how far down in the standings they were, let's say, like, a month ago, like, where they were, like, second last. Um, the fact that they've kind of climbed up back into the, the wild card picture, yeah, let's call them that they're back. 
Well, like after that Sharks game, even Jay Woodcock was kind of saying like, "Well, I think this is it." <laughs> like we kind of saw like a video of him talking to one of the staff members, going like, "Yeah, I think this might be it for us," and it, it was it. Um, and after the coaching change, uh, they have won what I want to say seven straight. They they were on like absolute bender and just won eight, even better. So instead of going in like let's just say they gotta win eighty percent of the games from that point, now they're at a point where they can kind of win two out of three games or let's just say five out of eight. Like like they have more breathing room. And like you say, they're in the West. It's not as strong, and we know that Edmonton. I don't know. Like we reckon them to be either like the Stanley Cup winner or at least in the final four. So given that, I think that it's fair to to say that they they're back and that they're at, you know, they're at 500. Let's just say that and they have a clean sheet. I don't know, with like what 60, 50 games ish to go. I think they're back and they have a lot of time, a lot uh a lot of games to like figure out what to add what to like fix like it was pretty it's pretty big contrast from jay woodcroft to i forgot their who their current coaches i apologize but it's a pretty big and clear obvious difference right like they're usually teams will kind of do a little bit better after they fire the coach. I don't know what it is, you know, the voodoo changes a little bit in the room, but it's never eight in a row good, right? Like, I don't know what it is, but do you still consider them a potential Final Four team? I don't. I think they sneak into the playoffs and they just get absolutely demolished in the first round. So I don't I don't buy that team still. I don't know what it is. I don't – the goaltending still suspect. The defense suspect. Yeah, a lot of that can be fixed because you have Connor McDavid, but he's only on the ice, you know, a third of the game. We'll give it to you half the game, even you know. So the coach is Chris Knobloch. Um, so Jake Woodcroft went three nine and one. Uh, the new coach is ten three and zero. Oh. So based on that pace, like like Anson said, like there's a good chance like he could. Like he's basically winning three out of every four games right now, and um, you know, I, I don't know this team. I mean, when we looked at this team at the beginning, like before the season even started, I think a lot of us considered this team, you know, top of the NHL. Like this was like a really good, well-built team. We just didn't think that their goaltending was going to fall apart that much. It seems to have kind of bounced back bounce itself back you know people are kind of scoring to kind of hide a little bit of goalie um mistakes but i mean like i i, I agree with you also in a sense that they're probably going to sneak into the playoffs i mean there is a nine point gap from the kings into making like uh like a divisional spot but at the same time like if you're one of the top teams like division leaders you probably don't want to face edmonton in the wild card like matchup like i think Edmonton could be that team that upsets if they're a wild card team. Like I think they're well built enough. They look good on paper. Maybe at the beginning they're just kind of trying to figure things out still, which is kind of weird since they didn't really bring anyone new. But I think yeah, just having that new voice in the locker room, maybe just you know 
started something, right? Like, if you remember back when the Blues won the Cup, right? They brought in um, Craig Berube of no, like, mid-season, and then they won the Cup, right? Like, maybe this is what's happening in Edmonton right now. You know, you just need that little of a coaching change, new voice in the locker room, just, a, you know, maybe some, uh, I don't know, just, just a new voice, new ideas sometimes is just enough to kind of, um, you know, encourage a team to start playing the way they should be. So we're going to talk about Craig Berube in a second. We've got to talk about that. But, Anson, do you buy the Oilers? Uh, I don't see why not. Because at the end of the day, like you're like, oh, okay, you know, all they have is a McDavid. But I'm on the other end of the spectrum of, but they have a McDavid. <laughs> so in that scenario, I'd say with given how far that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel can do, like how much damage they can do by themselves. And when it comes playoffs, they are going to play half the game. Um, like, remember, like, uh, McDavid was in, like, 98th or whatever in, in point scoring, like, a week ago. And then he scored, like, what, 25 in seven games or something ridiculous? And he's back in the conversation, right? So, like, I would say he's back and that he has... Again, like a, a half a season to catch up on the points record, the Art Ross, and, you know, doing what he does best. And when it comes to playoffs, I would say, like, like they're going to go on a slump, whatever, but, like, they've had their slump. They they got that out of the way, I'd say. Unless they completely tank it, then it is what it is. But they kind of had their slump, and that, realistically, it could only go up from here. So I think, yeah, like I think they are going to be like a Final Four again this year. Do you trust Stuart Skinner to get them into the Final Four, though? Oh, like, no. That's the big question. But then he's their starting goalie, right? Like, yes. It's not going to be Picard. And look, Campbell ain't doing so hot in the minors either. So, And they don't have the cap space either to, to bring someone in. And, uh, you know, like uh, that that's the question, though. Like, Can you trust him? You can't really trust Skinner after what he's given you to start the season off with and kind of like last year, like the end of like last playoffs. Um, the, but you're right. But this is like, I don't want to be like, oh, this isn't my problem. But like it is Ken Holland's like issue of, hey, how do I figure this out? Because they have so much money tied to Jack Campbell that it's, literally impossible to get rid of him without giving up an asset and if you were to bring another goalie in like who would it be at this point would it be gibson because one you got to give up you got to give up the contract of campbell plus sweetener and then you got to give up x y and z to get gibson like you're going to cost a little arm and a leg to get a quality goalie so that's what I'm trying to say, right? Like at this point, the Oilers are what dollar in, dollar out. Like they've got how much cap space? They've got 65 grand projected cap space, right? So it's basically dollar in, dollar out. So you're gonna, if you're gonna try to get rid of that contract, teams are gonna tear you apart, right? And you bring in a guy like Gibson. What is that? Seven million, I'm guessing, somewhere around there. So you got to figure out how to clear out about what 12 million. So 6.4 million. You have to clear out 11, 12 million. 
out of your cap space, that's two opportunities teams are going to want to rinse you for. Like that's the thing, right? Like to get rid of to get rid of um, Campbell, you're going to get rinsed, and then whoever you're going to try to trade because it's going to be super obvious, right? What you're trying to do, right? Like to fit in five million teams, you're going to want to ask for a lot, and then once you lose Campbell, everyone's going to know why you're trying to do this, so they're going to try to rinse you again. Like do they? I don't know many teams are able to have the assets to be able to get rinsed twice like this. They already don't really have the assets to begin with, which doesn't help. Like I think they used a lot of it last year going in. Like they giving up Tyson Berry essentially to give up to to get uh Ekholm was one of them. Um a few years ago to get Duncan Keith, like all that kind of just came back. Like they gave up the futures to get to do the you know the now and it's that the quote unquote now has never worked um but it's like yeah do you believe they're final four i'd say yes because like ultimately i'm gonna be like hey if, it, if they score six if you score six and they score five you're still gonna win i think if you're you're edmonton i think you, you just got to live with what you have like like i agree like there's no like a team teams are going to rinse you if you're trying to replace Campbell and you're trying to dump his contract and then try to bring in a goalie of, you know, a caliber, like, you know, playoff caliber goalie that you want. Right. So I think if you're Edmonton, you're like, okay, like as it's going to cost a lot to replace a goaltending, both in terms of salary cap, but also in terms of um, the assets that it's going to take. So I think you just live with what you have, you know, Skinner's still young. Goalies are volatile, but they can be volatile both in a bad way, but in a good way. Maybe Skinner figures things out. Maybe Calvin Picard is the guy that, you know, you need. I mean, back in the day when he was with Colorado, he kind of... I think people thought Calvin Picard was going to be something, right? Like, he's got some pretty decent stats this season. Maybe he's going to be kind of their 1B option. And then maybe Campbell... I mean, there's rumors Campbell is going to come back up at some point. But at the same time, like... I think you just have to go by committee. Who knows? Do you kind of hope that Calvin Picard doesn't become the guy? <laughs> like, if you're the Oilers front office, yes, you kind of hope he becomes the guy, and you better hope him win the cup, right? But then he's on seven hundred sixty-two grand as a UFA. If he becomes the guy and starts getting what, like a Three and a half, four, four and a half million dollar deal. Does that kind of screw you over in that even more then? So like, like obviously you want to win, but does a small part of you, if you're front office, be like, I really hope he's not the guy. Uh, no, based on two things. One, you're talking about like the Aiden Hill situation from last year, and two, if you win, who gives a fuck? That is fair, but you have to win the cup. Yes. Right? But remember, like. Like again, like they didn't win the cup, but last year the Panthers relied on Alex Lyon, Leon, to basically will them to the playoffs and a, a chunk of the playoffs until Barbowski kind of stepped in and was like, "Hey, by the way, I, I am still not that bad." Um, like keep in mind, like and where's he now? I think he's with Detroit or something. Like he's definitely not with the Panthers. That he was too expensive for them. Um, but. It's one of those get in the playoffs, anything can happen, and just look at how Florida did it. Yeah, I think if you're the Edmonton front office, if you're looking for someone to be the guy, 
I mean, I think first option is Jack Campbell. Second option is um, Stuart Skinner. But I, I think Edmonton, I think we can all agree they're kind of back. But how far they're going to keep going with, you know, are they going to eventually hit that little slump? Are they going to kind of regress back to the mean? Or is this going to be, you know, the new norm where they're going to start climbing, kick the Kings out of a divisional playoff spot probably? You know, the Kings are going to be a wild card team. I mean, we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. It's kind of, it, it, I mean, I, I just, I don't think I actually saw this coming, like them like suddenly climbing all the way up into, like back into the wild, uh, wild card picture. Um I guess let's go back to what Alston had said earlier. You know, one of the teams that kind of started falling off the wildcard picture. They're not f- fully out, obviously. It's still too early in the season. But the St. Louis Blues have kind of made a change in their head coach behind the bench. Craig Berube getting fired recently. I think that was today. Was it today? I don't know. Probably whenever you guys are here this episode, it's probably been a couple days. But interesting, out of nowhere, I don't know, like, when I, when you guys told me that he got fired, I was genuinely surprised. I don't know what your guys like first reaction was to the Barube firing. Um, I guess I was kind of just indifferent. I could see it going both ways. Um, but I think it also kind of happened because, like, I don't know, like Edmonton got rid of Jay Woodcroft. Uh, many got rid of Dean Evison. So. I think the Blues are kind of like, you know, we want to light a fire under the guys. And realistically, in a sense, like, they can't really do much with their roster. They're one of those teams as well. So it's, like, kind of so. And, like, again, he brought them a cup. He was he was that guy. But obviously it's not the same as 2019 anymore. So, and given that Jordan Bennington has been one of those, like, when he's gone, the guy is... What, like a 935, 940 uh, goalie, but when, like, you know, when he's not on the the absolute values of this guy are just like, it's like he's punching guys. He's just punching everyone. He is, um, he is the NHL version of uh, Draymond Green. <laughs> like, it's not good. So, I think they're living and dying by in a sense, they're kind of living and dying by uh, Bennington, and Berube is kind of paying the price for it. So one thing about the Blues that has always struck me is, like, they're built very interesting, I want to say. They're very, like, top-heavy in how they spend their money. Does that make sense? But, like, they're not, like, bonafide stars that they spend all their money on either, too. Well, they paid, what, Robert Thomas and Kyrie last year? I think it was, like, $8 million. Like, 8 by 8 I think, for both of them. Give or take a little bit. I think they kind of realize that these two are cornerstones for our team moving forward. And whether it's, like, you know, Britton Shen who's going to leave, Butch Navich, I don't remember his contract. Um, Kevin Hayes is kind of like a one- or two-year, like, stepping stone for the next guy. Uh, State Farm, Jake Neighbors, he's coming in. He looks pretty good. Um, like... They, I think they know what, like, who would they want to keep for their next core moving forward, and what they want to do with the, oh sorry, and like the guys who aren't, they're kind of just kind of either one playing them out, or depending how the season goes, they're gonna get shipped out of town. 
So here's my thing with the Blues. What is their expectation for the year? If you're a Blues fan, what do you expect from this team? I would probably say like you're expecting them to compete for the playoffs, given the fact that they didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, I think that's a fairly reasonable. I don't think you're. You, I don't think you look at this Blues team and be like, "Hey, like they're going to be sneak up favorites." But I think you expect them to at least make the playoffs. I don't. I think they're like a wild card team at best. This team isn't competitive in my books, at least. But this team, I get why you do it. Right, you're in a slump. Your team is supposed to at least, uh, you know, be close to the playoffs. Seems not even close to the playoffs. I don't think. And I guess, again, like I get it, but then this also gives me. Does it not give you a vibe that they know? Like the GM knows. I forget who the GM is. I forget. My bad. But the GM knows he has to do something. But he's so cash strapped or cap strapped, can't really do much. And he knows that if this doesn't happen, Doug Armstrong, sorry, yeah, if Doug Armstrong doesn't make this happen, he's next. Well, I actually was thinking about that. Doug Armstrong has been there a long time. Is it maybe time for a change at the top to fix the blues? Because. I think one of the big things is, like, if you look at their top 4D, um, it is not good. It They are costly, they're old, and um, they've been trying to get rid of some of them. So maybe Doug Harmstrong needs to go. Maybe Craig Ruby is just the first stepping stone. Is this the 2020s version of the National Predators with David Poyle at the helm? I think it's a fair comparison. I don't know if it's a 2020 version because didn't Dave Poyle just retire in 2023? Like, this is almost like, what, like a six months later analogy? I, I don't know. I think with the Preds, I don't know. Like, I don't think Dave Poyle really made the team bad per se like i i just think they, they couldn't attract new new like they just couldn't attract free agents like they just couldn't build a good team while you know doug armstrong kind of you know paid the cup tax on a lot of his players and kind of put himself in a corner right now and i i don't know i i, I do think i get what you mean by comparing it to the national predators and david poyle but um I feel like there's probably like a better comparison. Like, I, I, I almost want to say it's kind of like going to be like with the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? Like, they've, you know, getting, going over and getting Kyle Dubas. You know, like, this is a team that they think can still compete, but um, they just need someone new at the helm, maybe. I was going to say the 2010s Minnesota, where they are in the eighth spot, or now known as the wildcard spot, and they get knocked out of the first round. Because I think that happened for like seven years straight. And everyone's just like, ah, there they are again. Right in the seventh, eighth seed. But I think it's more about like, you know, how the team is built. I don't think it's necessarily like their results. I think it's just like, you know, like with, you know, like St. Louis, right? They're kind of in that middling spot right now. They've got players that are good. You got Robert Thomas. You got... Um, 
Jordan Cairo, guys who probably are like young enough that they can be, you know, they're, they're kind of in the prime players. But then you also have guys who are kind of getting to the end of their primes, like the Braden Shins, the Kevin Hayes. But it just doesn't seem like there's going to be going in one direction, either going to rebuild or they're going to start contending, right? So, uh, like, I think whether you need, like, if you're Doug Armstrong, right, you're never going to want to rebuild, right? Like, you've had so much success, you've kind of, you know, want to maintain the success, success, kind of like what David Poyle did, right? Like, you know, the Preds were a solid franchise, kept making the playoffs, right? As a GM, like, your performance isn't based on the fact of what you're going to, how your team is going to be in three years. Your your performance, like, your your job is based on what your performance is in the present, right? So, I wonder if they just need that new GM so that they can, you know, start a rebuild, you know, bring in the youth movement or figure out what they need to do for this team, and then they can contend again. Just to further my comparison here, yet compared to like 2021 National Predators, you have your two guys at the end of their prime, Johansson, Duchesne, right? You have a young, I guess your Robert Thomas comparison would be like what, Philip Forsberg? And then it's a team that you're dependent on a very strong defense, which that was the intention, but not saying that's happened. And, you know, you have a Yossi, you know, you had Echo, you know, this team was built from the back, right? But let's be honest here. Like, this team needs to be torn down, right? There's not I, – I don't think you can make tinkers to get to the cup. And I, I don't know, like – it, this is a team that can't be tinkered to the cup. That's my guess here. I feel like you have to tear this down. Like a team like the Leafs, for example, could be tinkered to get to the cup. But I just don't see it with this core. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think if you look at this team, I think your core is still Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo. I think it's they brought in quite a few guys that they thought that they could tinker with, like bringing in a Kevin Hayes. Um it's just that I, I don't know. Like their D is kind of oldish that they're gonna have to like really tear it down and really um, I don't know. It, it, it's it's gonna be a hard fix. Whoever kind of replaces Doug Armstrong, I think. All right. I mean, with I mean, like speaking about all these contracts and stuff. I mean, would it be nice if you could defer the money on the contract so that you can get paid later? kind of a say like a certain Shohei Otani like I mean like if you're if you're the blue I mean I don't know if it'll affect anything on the cap I guess it's just to the players but like if you look at that Colton Pareko contract where you know he signed for I don't know like seven more years at 6.5 like if you could kind of defer that cap or money later on would that would that be something that the NHL would ever do or is that just kind of like something that only the MLB might do. Hear me out. Okay. Imagine you run a team like that's an internal cap, like the Anaheim Ducks, right? What if you put your deferrals in and you just go cap? Like, okay, you go cap heavy, and then that way you do it. But, like, at the same time, now that I think about it, that's kind of what they do right now, right? With the signing bonuses, it's kind of what they do. They kind of do deferrals now. If you think about it, it's just not for like 20 years or 30 years or whatever, right? Like if you look at, for example, you look at like a, 
I don't know who would be a good example. If you, like a Brady to Chuck or Anton, do you know have anyone off the top of your head? John Tavares. That, that's who I thought of too. Like they kind of do have deferrals now, don't they? Right? Like if I look at John Tavares' contract, and the, please hold as we get the, as we get there. If you look at John Tavares' contract, he got fifteen point nine million this first year. And last year of his deal, which is next year, is gonna be seven point nine five million. Like he kind of does get a deferral. It's just not as obvious. Well, I think the main thing is that like all these deferrals that you're like these pseudo deferrals that are in the NHL, that's within the time of the contract. But when you look at Otani's contract or some a lot of MLB contracts, right? The deferral money is after the contract has ended, right? Like I'm trying to think like a more recent one would be like Steven Strasburg, right? Like he's looking to maybe retire, but he's got like money that he's going to get paid until like 2030 almost. Like I think like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think there is some benefit both to the players and to the teams. I just don't know in the NHL when you have a hard cap, whether it's ever feasible, right? Like, can you defer money past the end of a contract, right? Like, I think financially for a team, right, being able to defer money helps. Like, if you have a poor cash flow or something, or you're you're not able to have, you know, enough revenue to support, like, having a lower cost every year, but, you know, spread out over more time. I assume that's probably more preferential than having to pay a lump sum right now, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's, in the end, it's, I guess the NHL doesn't really have a deferral system, but I guess, I see what you mean also in trying to make a comparison. Like, I, I see it as a benefit for a team like, let's say you're the Anaheim Ducks with internal cap. Like, now I think about, like, I flushed up my idea a bit better. You're Anaheim Ducks. Right. And you are the owner of a team and you're like, all right, screw it. I'm planning a sales team in like 10 years. So you just like with that in mind, right? You're like, I'm the sales team 10 years, sales team 10 years. You just defer all this salary to the next owner and be like, here you go. And I'm Duck's new owner. Here is an extra 150 million <laughs> in in salary that you weren't in that you're going to have to pay on top of whatever it is. It would help, I think, with teams with lower cash flows, like you mentioned, or like teams that would be like, in other situations, would not be able to compete, right? Like, for example, when the Coyotes were owned by the NHL, like, that was a time where they had their really, like, tightened budgets. Well, a deferral after the contract would help because at the end of the day, the longest annual contract you can do is eight years, right? Like, you only have really eight, within eight years to defer, and you're not going to defer most players because most players are going to sign two, three, four-year deals max. Not many players sign your eight-year deals, right? So it does limit how much you defer. And I think at the end of the day, that would make teams more competitive. But I could also see it jeopardizing the league's health financially in the long run, right? Like, if... It's a copycat league, right? If one team does it, then every team's going to do it. And then in like 10 years from now or whatever, you're just going to end up having salary caps of like 95 million. But then each pay- team's payroll is like 130 million because they're all paying for contracts from 10 years ago, right? 
I think the key in this conversation is that it's got to be similar to like retaining contract, like retaining money on a contract. You can't defer every single contract. Maybe you're allowed like one contract per team where you're allowed to defer money past the end of their contract. So like, say you sign a guy to like five years, but then you add deferrals or something so that, you know, you pay it out over 10 years or something. And obviously you got to get the players to agree. Right. But like, I mean, like, would like if you're an NHL player, why would you want to defer? Like, unless you're like, I'm deferring so that my team can, you know, have enough money, like have enough cash to actually spend on building a team around me. I can see like that's like that's what Otani's doing, right? Like he's deferring money to help the Dodgers, you know, not screw themselves with their cash flow so that they can, you know, bring in guys to help him help help the Dodgers compete so they can build a you know competitive team around Otani. But like, how many players are going to be like hi, like, like I'm trying to think like, I don't know, William Nylander, he's going to sign a contract. But he's going to defer money so that the team is going to have money to, you know, offer signing bonuses to free agents that are going to sign new contracts to help flesh out whichever team he's going to play for, or be able to, you know, I, it it just, I I don't know if players are going to be as willing because I think while well, the players these days especially want to cash up front right away in signing bonuses. Let's say you're Nick Foligno, all right, Jeffrey. Hi, I'm Nick Foligno. And the Chicago Blackhawks offer you $4 million a year, like they did. But it has to be deferred, two two and a half million is deferred for two years from now. Every other team is only willing to pay you $3 million. Would you take that deferral? Um, because, the, remember, the Blackhawks are more interested in the intangibles that you bring. So they're willing to overpay you. Well... If I believe that I can sign a contract the season after, that's going to be worth more than a million, then I might take it, right? Like if, because like you're if well, I mean in the end, right? Like what if Nick Foligno signs a contract after? Yeah, I I think if I would take three million. I I think there's there's going to be a number where you're going to be like, okay, now I I won't take a deferred contract. But or like I would rather take a contract that pays the money up front versus a contract that doesn't. Um, but I, I think if you're, yeah, there's going to be a number. Either it's like seventy-five percent or eighty percent of your contract where you're finally like, okay, I'd rather just sign somewhere else than take a deferred contract. But uh, I don't know. It, it, it's it's an interesting proposition that I don't think the NHL is ever going to look at. It's something that we only talk about on the Bag of Punks podcast, but um, it's just an interesting situation. I just wonder, I feel like it happens more than we know. Like, I'm thinking about Mike Richards. Is his contract, like, I know they settled, but is that technically a deferral as well? No, that's a buyout. It's different. Like, they didn't arrange this when they signed the contract to be like, hey, you know, the... You know, you get paid out through X amount of years, whatever. It's just because he didn't, he didn't play to the standards and needed, so they bought him out and they just stretched it out. Didn't they buy him out because he got arrested? Yeah, like that wasn't part of the signing of his contract, right? That's what I'm saying. Like a 
deferral is like when you sign like oh yeah i'm gonna take less money these years and take you know more more cash over x amount of years mike richards got arrested so they were like okay yeah like we're not we're just gonna like stretch this out because we don't want you on our team regardless yeah, I just remember because like when they stretched his contract out, it wasn't like the typical buyout where it was like, like it was a lot longer than it was supposed to be because they settled right. Like they didn't like do a proper buyout. It was like a termination buyout. I don't know. It was it was a weird one, but it was one that stretched quite a long time. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see in the NHL. Maybe it was like maybe I don't know. I don't know the inner finances of NHL teams, but I wonder if you know the NBA might do it. I can guarantee you not the NFL because the NFL barely gives guaranteed money, right? So kind of wait and see. Maybe maybe we'll see a change in the, how players or athletes get paid in uh, deferred contracts. So one thing I wish they waited and see a little bit more, though, what's going on with the Department of Player Safety? Can someone explain to me, do they even see things? Do they just spin a wheel or are they just like, you know what? The game will, will figure itself out. And if someone gets murdered, someone gets murdered. I think it might be a dartboard at this point <laughs> of what the uh, the punishment is. Like, it's all over the place, as we saw, I guess, over the past weekend. It's like, so the the two or three that I remember is um, Evander Kane and Jonas Berdine. Uh I think it was Ryan Strom and Kyle Connor, which I think we got the update today. Uh, Connor's out, what, six to eight weeks from that knee on knee, something like that. Um, and the one that I remember the most, and I think it kind of sits on a lot of people's minds, is the Good Branson and the Cousins incident. Um, well, I, and then there's the, um, I forgot who hit Dylan Arkin, but. But then David Perron absolutely like cross-checked Artem Zub right across the face. He got six games or five, something like that. But regardless, it's kind of like a a lot of games, a lot more than your typical three, four, or five. He got six. Um, but the point of it is kind of like what happened the last ten days, where yeah, like Department of Player Safety just lost complete control. It's like hey. Peron, who has never gotten a prior, um, gets six games. Understandably so, because he absolutely just saw red. Like, he turned around. He saw the guy standing over his captain and was like, you, <laughs> you are the guy I'm going to take. And he did. Um, I don't know if Brian Storm got suspended or fined or anything. I don't really remember. Um, Good Branson got one game for pulling a WWE move on um, the Cousins. And I think Evander King got off scot-free. So I think they watch some of the games, and then they go, eh, the rest will be fine. I think it's just, like, there's no consistency, really, right? Like, like I, like that Kane Brodine hit, I don't think there was even a penalty called on that play. The next day, Eric Robinson hits Justin Barron in the exact same way, gets a major, gets a major match in a game's conduct, and he's out of the game, right? But why is there such a difference? And then, you know, 
another day we could see the exact same hit and then some guys are going to get suspended, right? Like, why is there no... Like, maybe I think the Department of Player Safety, they're watching all these games, but there's just no consistency on either how the refs are calling it or how the Department of Player Safety is handing out suspensions and fines after the fact. I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm going to side with the referees in this one. I'm okay with the fact that there's being a little bit of inconsistency because you have some human bias, you know. Yeah, you have, you can look back and look at video and be like, oh, look at the replay. And like, okay, yeah, so dangerous hit. So yeah, I have a little bit of more leeway just because one person's minor penalty versus one person's major for some hits can be very, very different, right? Like my issue is with the Department of Player Safety, right? It's one person heading it up. They should have the same biases, right, for every single hit because it is the same person. My question is, why not? And I don't know. It just feels like George Peros just decided, you know what? The players will figure it out themselves. And fine. If a player has figured it out themselves, just don't, just don't be shocked if someone gets really hurt while they're policing themselves. And you get all the blame and make it consistent, like you said, right? Like, okay, fine. If you want whatever Erica Branson did to Nick Cousins to be one game, fine. Then whatever David Perone did to Artem Zub, then make it one game, two games. And just send a message out to the league and just say, yeah, we're just going to let you guys kill each other now. Instead of, what will it be? You know, will it be six games or will it be absolutely nothing? For Ryan Strom, for example, like Ryan Strom's going to go out there against the Jets in January, I think January 15th or whatever. And it's just a matter of, is it going to be Brendan Dillon? Is it going to be Adam Lowry? Is it going to be Logan Stanley? Is it are they going to call up some guy just to fight him? Because it's going to happen. It's going to be like, is it going to be one guy or is it going to be five guys <laughs> on him? Essentially, is it going to be the Jets going, you know what? We have, we don't care about this game. We don't care if we lose. Uh, we are going for Ryan Strom, and that is it. Like it, it, you know, at that point, it that's what it looks like. Because they're, I'm pretty sure, like, yeah, like Cal Connor won't be back by that game. Like, so the Jets will feel, you know, like they're missing their best goal scorer, their, you know, top points, uh, their top points getter, and it's like. That's gonna hurt for every team. Like you know, you lose Matthews, you lose McDavid. It's like, yeah, you can't do that. Um, and I think you're right. It's like it all came like the absolute tipping point. It was when I think for me it was when it was um Cousins boarded Good Branson, and uh, it was initially a major, and then it became two. Like, he wasn't thrown out, and then you could kind of see Good Branson go, I'm going to kill him, and then he did because they didn't kick him out of the game. And somehow, I'm pretty sure Good Branson ended up with 27, 29 penalty minutes in that game. Or in that one shift, he was just like, yeah, that's it. See you later. I think the main thing is what we're seeing with the Department of Player Safety is they're going to suspend players for retaliation and endangering the safety of others which which sounds stupid 
when you think about what hockey is, you got 10 or 12 guys wearing knives on their skates uh, and full equipment and trying to, you know, hit, like, knock each other down. Like, it's almost like, like, if you look at the David Perron thing, right? I, I agree, six games is a lot, but it's also the fact it wasn't even a hockey play, right? I think that's, like, he was... Well, what he thought was Artem Zubla was the one who hit the Larkin when it was actually indeed Matthew Joseph who hit it. And, you know, it wasn't a hockey play, right? So I think that's why we saw a heavier punishment. But, like, I think that's what we're going to see. I think that's what they're trying to get rid of in the NHL, right? They're they're okay with people policing the game themselves, but it's when you're not doing it within the so-called hockey way when you're kind of doing it more as say like this is like assault basically like like if you think about what like if this wasn't hockey if this was like outside i don't know just on the streets or something or in the mall would that person get arrested and charged right like i think that's what they're starting to look at a little bit more like is this within the realm of what we would consider hockey yes no if it's a no then we might see this uh, like a hefty suspension. So do you have any suggestions on what the Department of Player Safety could do? Fire George Barrows would be a start. But that wouldn't solve any long-term issues, would it? No, they kind of... Like, would you say Shanahan was really good at his job at that point? Like, when he was the guy doing the suspensions how he kind of went, here's what happened, here's the whole play, uh, here's where this incident took place, and here's how many games he's getting, and here's, I don't know, let's just say here's why we think he's getting the games based on this point of contact or how he, this happened. I think Shanahan doing that was more, like, as the people, that made more sense than George Perros and friends going, Six, two, nah. Yeah, no, I, I think in the end, I think if you're the NHLPA, especially, I think you're probably after what's happened, right? Like you're probably going to send a message over to the Department of Player Safety and be like, hey, like, can we get some, you know, consistency or like get some further understanding of why our players are getting suspended for so many games? Like, I, I think overall, I think the the one we're, we're never going to be mad about a one game suspension it's when you hit three or more where you're kind of starting to question the consistency right so i think the dave Perron one is obviously the one that seems to be the one that we're mentioning the most right as the one that we're, we're thinking like is it really is it is that suspension or that is that action worth a suspension of six games right so i think if you're the department of player safety like I think you need to communicate with the players and the teams and be like, okay, this is why we did six games. And like, you know, going forward, we are going to be focusing more on blank when we're looking at, you know, supplementary discipline, right? Like we're going to be, this is the reason why we're doing this. Like, I don't know. Like it it seems like over Christmas, there's going to be some communications or memos to discuss, you know, why we've seen, all these suspensions and fines and how we're going to be trying to be more consistent or explain why they're it's why they they think they're right 
and why it has been so inconsistent. I think it's brought up a good point. Like those videos are really good. I would love if they took their time and provided more. And then what I meant provided more is like, yes, this is the what the rule breaking was. And I remember at those videos at the end, it was like, and we conclude, you know, so-and-so player suspended four games, right? I would love if they would also then say, because I, I would hope at least they look at comparables, right, to to figure out how much this player should be fined or suspended by. I would love if they went, hey, this is what we use to compare it. This is what we use to compare it, right? And at least provide, like, viewers and fans and teams players some idea of how they got to wherever they're getting because right now that's a big question i have no clue how they got to six games for dave prone so mm-hmm. right i would love to understand that and also i would i've seen it before i've seen it with some of the actual um other suspensions i don't remember who but like i remember they do like a write-up it's like a super it's like a like when you go to like court or whatever and then there's like just a huge write-up at the end I would love for them to share that right up. And even if it's like 40, 50 pages or whatever it is, and it takes like two weeks for it to get released, I think that transparency will help teams understand. I don't think many people are going to read it if it's like 30, 40 pages. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it's there. If you want to read it, then read it. If you don't want to read it, then you don't get to complain about it because you didn't read it. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's the whole lack of transparency of, their, of how they calculate stuff. I think that's what drives teams most crazy that and the inconsistency but i think the lack of transparency drives the inconsistency because it seems inconsistent and i'm sure if you ask george peros like it's consistent in his brain well if he shared how he gets the consistency then it'll be consistent and then i think fans are okay with that does that make sense or am i just rambling here no 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 i think what you're saying it, it makes sense to me at least and like the whole like transparency and consistency, I think kind of is mutually tied together. All right. It sounds, I feel like I'm starting to get into my rambly phase and that no one wants to listen to that. So let's wrap it up with some uh, final thoughts and we will start with the person who's never here. So he has to go first. Anson. I'm here today. It's a thought that counts. Um, I don't know what's up with the scheduling. I was kind of browsing through it just now, but, um, like looking through the standings, I don't know. A bunch of teams have played anywhere from like 25 to 30 games. Then you have the Ottawa Senators, who has only played 23, and that, and they're only uh, one, two. They're only fourth from the bottom of the league. So they, given that, I don't know. Let's just say it's 20. They have four or five games that, uh, in hand of like you know the next teams. There's a real chance they could be in like a wild card spot that next time we chat. Do we want to know why Anson hasn't been here? Because we mentioned this, I think, last episode or the episode before that the Senators have uh, played less games than everyone else. I, I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. So I don't remember it. What was it? That the Sens had played less games than everyone else. Yeah, I don't remember why. I think I, I feel like it was someone's final thoughts or something about it. Or maybe it's something I made up in my own head. I feel like this we talked about this in your pod. I don't know. I have, I have no clue why they play less. But I'm also, just going to chalk it up to their arena being busy. Also, also, the Arizona Coyotes are currently in a wildcard spot. So if they keep this up, 
They're gonna play a playoff game in a three thousand a three thousand seat arena. Uh excuse you, five thousand. No, I think it's three after they knocked everything down. Fuck. Help help me it's, help you, man. It's it's five without like the NHL renovations. It's three with the Renes. For God's sake, Arizona. Let me help me help you. That's all I can say, Arizona. I wanna help you so bad. Just you gotta you gotta help me. We could help them by going to a game, you know? Uh, they're selling out. The the Arizona counties are selling out because three thousand. All I'm saying is that uh maybe we if there's uh, ever a game in Arizona maybe we do a trip there. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. There's no one um, three thousand, is it? I think it's three thousand five hundred or something. It can't be that low. It is. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's five thousand. Three or five thousand doesn't matter. All right, Jeffrey, final thought. My final thought is, um, you know, our next episode is going to be after the Christmas. So I just want to wish everyone uh, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays. And then uh, there's a good chance you won't hear from us until New Year's, depending on when we record, because we we want to enjoy our Christmases too. So um, enjoy the Christmas hockey. Um, I feel like this is always a good time when everyone's finally got some time off. You know, try to catch a hockey game if you can. And uh yeah, you know, just enjoy the snow that's eventually going to come because I love snow, I hate rain, and I know not everyone on this pod has the same uh, preference as I do. All right, my final thoughts is I'll see you in the new year, and I already know our first episode is going to be a New Year's resolution podcast because Jeffrey loves planning those ones. So we will see you in a couple weeks. Um, don't freeze, and we love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.